Uh, similar to our thinking just a moment ago about uh, Ezekiel and how uh, when he's aware of a need, Ezekiel will make sure that everyone else is aware of that need too. Uh, but as, as parents, you then try to de- decipher what is the need. You know, could it be, are they hungry? Are they, are, they, are they wet? Are they tired? And whatever it is. And so you're just trying to kind of work out what it is that they need. So we're just thinking about how maybe a baby or a child could let their parents know, their loving parents know of a need that they have. Ezekiel has learnt um, what he must do to have his needs met. And like Ezekiel, ourselves, we have learnt what we must do to have our needs met as we go through life. Not quite the same as a baby's. Um, The two characters we come to in Matthew's Gospel are aware of their need. They're aware of their need but acutely aware of their need as Jesus is on the scene. When they hear that Jesus is coming and all the stories of Jesus that they've heard of him, maybe from uh, people within their own community, those who've been begging alongside them, have spoken of Jesus who heals the sick, gives sight to the blind, stories of his teaching. The whole uh, place knows about Jesus. And, and is passing by. They're acutely aware of their need as Jesus is coming close. For the most part of their lives, these two beggars, these blind guys, would have thought their need was money or maybe shelter, maybe some support, some company. Their immediate appetites, the things which, you know, um, I need, yeah, I need some money, we've got to buy some food, or I need, need some, a roof over my head. It'd be great if I had some companionship because I need someone to lead me different places because being blind is really, really hard. So they would have th- gone through their whole life trying to meet their immediate needs, the things that they're, you know, everyday, ordinary living, uh, having those things met. They were used to their condition and likely they've adapted to it to live life uh, supported, uh, looking to find support from the local community. The Jews at the time, they were specifically charged by God, by God's word, to treat the blind with compassion and and care. We find that in the Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 19 and chapter 27. But God's people are specifically charged to take care of the blind. So it's they were the, the, the harder, uh, if, if people were going to walk well or felt they were walking well with God, it would have been harder to walk past someone who was blind because you knew you had a responsibility from God toward them. So they would have had some of their needs met by the local community. Um, but despite this, they would have had a pretty lousy self-esteem, particularly when it came to their relationship with God. They would have felt, well, lesser than everyone else who maybe had their sight. They would have felt that God was somehow um, maybe punishing them or maybe felt that uh, God was doing something to them uh, because of something they had done or their family had done in the past. Uh, This is how they thought God might have viewed them. They were reminded not only by their own blindness 
but either by passers, uh, passers-by where they shared some pity or when they shared a judgmental word towards them. It may have been that these two characters in our story have gotten used to um, a certain way of life. Go on out, I'm going to beg there, uh, get some enough money, we should have enough money by so-and-so time, go and get some food, uh, and, and that's my routine. They've got used to a certain way of life, used to um, living with uh, the, the blindness, and also they've got used to perhaps a certain level of self-worth. They've got used to maybe the idea that God doesn't view them like he views all the others who, who can see. The lie that they've been told by some passers-by or that they've told themselves as they've tried to make sense of their own uh, disability. And over time, they've adapted to both circumstances. The practical ones, I can get by. And the spiritual one, well, this, is, this is me and well, this is how me and God relate but it's all about change. It's all about change. They hear about Jesus. What he is saying, what he is doing alongside his teaching about the Father's heart for people like them. They would not have imagined sight was ever an option until they heard of other blind friends who perhaps have regained their sight, or stories at least of the blind seeing. Was Jesus able to do that for them? Was this message of God's love for them? Jesus would let them know. I love the drama of this passage. I love it. It's a very short part in in Matthew 20, uh, a very short sort of healing story, but the drama is is, is huge. You've got the fact that Jesus is coming. So the background of these guys, their life, they've got used to their circumstances and used to how God views them from their perspective. They've, um, They've heard stories of Jesus, what he's doing, and now Jesus is coming. The blind men, when they hear that Jesus is passing by, what do they do? They cry out. They cry out to Jesus. The blind men are crying out, but the crowd are rebuking them. The crowd are shushing them. The crowd are saying, you know, don't make a scene. You know, you can cheer cheer like the rest of us, but don't you be pushing yourself to the front. Don't you be shouting for Jesus. Because, of course, the crowd think these guys aren't worth as much. They are aware, they are aware that Jesus can help them. They've come to a point, they've done the maths, the arithmetic in the background of the stories and they are crying out for Jesus to have mercy on them. Their need for him. But others, others are getting in the way. What could have happened? What might have happened They might not have been heard. Anything else that might have happened? The crowd are telling them to be quiet. They're screaming out. Mm -hmm. 
I, they could have listened to the crowd. They could have thought, oh, actually, yeah, I'll, I'll just go back in my box. And I'll miss out on this opportunity to meet and encounter Jesus because everyone's saying things like, he, surely he's not concerned with you. Surely he doesn't care about you. Um, stop making a scene. Stop your enthusiastic waving and shouting. Stop being so aware of your need. This is your lot in life. This is who you are. Be quiet. And they could have shrunk back and stayed put and missed what Jesus was going to do. But what did they do? They shouted all the louder. It was almost like the, the cries of the, cr- the crowd were, were the challenge to them to pursue Jesus all the more. It was fuel for their fire to say, you know, I know I need help. I know I need help. I know I need Jesus. And I'm going to pursue Jesus despite all the obstacles that are now coming my way. I'd love to have that kind of pursuit in my daily life. We were shoe shopping the other day for the boys, four boys, uh, wee steps, you know, five all the way up to 11, and we were shoe shopping. So can you imagine how much fun shoe shopping is with four boys? Yeah? Those who have got kids and maybe experienced a shoe shopping thing or have been there, done that, it's great fun, isn't it? It's horrendous. Shoe shopping is horrible. It's the worst thing to do, and particularly if you've, you know, you, you've got f- lots of them trying to disappear. And so they're, they're wriggling, they're squirming, and they're not staying where we left them. And they've still got to get their feet measured, and they've got to get choose their shoes and find shoes that are right for them. So it's a bit, uh, a bit of an effort. So a shoe shopping for the boys is always fun. And we went to this one shop because we need to get uh, one of them a pair of trainers. So we went to a wee sports shop, and there was I think one assistant working the whole ground floor. It's not just the shoe department, but everywhere. And we spotted them from the distance. Right, we'll just, sorry, they'll be here in a minute. It's the kids are squirming. The kids are, you know, kicking off. Uh, not that my kids do that much, but uh, and then we're waiting for the attendant to come, and he's not come over. So we are we're waiting. Nothing's happening. Uh, we're waiting. You can tell I'm English. You know, we do a lot of waiting and being very polite. Uh, nothing's happening. Uh, uh, we're looking. Where have they gone? They've disappeared. Is there a tea break? Uh, we, we we send out uh, Reuben to dispatch him to go and see if he can find them. So he's hunting for them. Uh, then we've found them, and then by the time Reuben takes us in, we've lost them. So it's, it's an epic shoe shopping trip to find someone who would measure our kids' feet and get them a pair of shoes. We've chosen the shoes, they're on the shelf, we just needed the, the other one that would go with it. Thought about putting two left shoes on his feet, but it's not very kind. But I wondered in that moment, why I don't resort to, that, to what Ezekiel might do or what any other baby might do. I needed the shoe assistant. Why didn't I just scream for help? Because guaranteed help would come in a few seconds, wouldn't it? If I stood in that shoe shop and just screamed at the top of my lungs for help, I might get a shoe assistant, I could get a few passers-by, I might get the local paramedics, whatever, but we'd get the job done, wouldn't we? I would have my needs met. What stops me doing that? 
what stops me in that shoe shop screaming at the top of my lungs for help, which I know if I did would come in a moment. Any ideas? What would stop you doing that? Pride? Dignity? Discipline? A certain way, yes. There's a way we behave. That's not a normal way to behave. Anything else? Embarrassment? So many obstacles, unwritten obstacles, which uh, we've grown up with, we've clothed ourselves with, that when we're aware of a need, when we're aware of a struggle, aware of a difficulty, uh, a challenge even, that stops us from expressing, stops us from going about getting that need met. What stops us doing that with Jesus though? We see these two blind guys, they know their need and, and they know that they've got to get Jesus' attention and they're crying out. They're crying out in a busy place among a crowd. All those things may well have welled up within them but they're unstoppable because they know Jesus is what they need. What hinders us letting Jesus know what, that we need help? What hinders us from living reliant upon Jesus? What maybe are some of the things we do in our lives which we do without even giving a thought to God's way or God's help? How much we need to rely on him? See, relying on Jesus is not weakness, it's wisdom. It was wise of these guys to be aware of their need and cry out to have it met because they gained their sight, but also they gained a Lord and Savior who they went on to follow. They didn't just regain their sight, but they gained a Lord, and they gained all that Jesus would offer them as they followed him. When a baby gets lackluster, they normally fall asleep. They sleep and the crying ebbs away. Has our pursuit of Jesus got drowsy? Being aware of our need for him, but actually maybe finding ourselves in a comfortable place and we're just dozing. We've just got drowsy and fallen asleep. See, we should never be ashamed to admit how desperately we need Jesus. To live in such a way that looks different from everyone else. To stand out from the crowds. To not be content with just knowing Jesus intellectually as some of the others in the crowd may well have been. That's Jesus. Woo. Not being content with that. But to stand out from the crowd. Um, to not be one of the crowd, but be found doing the things that are pursuing relationship with him, pursuing intimacy with Jesus. Are we doing those things? Or are we just saying, hey Jesus, it's Sunday, how are you doing? Are we living our lives in such a way that pursues Jesus because we're so aware that we need him? John Wesley, let's see if Chris is awake. John Wesley, anyway. Uh, is now. Uh, beware of imagining you shall obtain the end without using the means conducive to it. 
John Wesley was the guy who, who began the Methodist movement as a people on mission among the, the miners and the farmers, uh, people who are outside of the churches. And he says, beware of imagining you shall obtain the end without using the means conducive to it. God can give you uh, enthusiasm without any means at all, but you have no reason to think he will. Therefore, constantly and carefully use the means which he's given to help you grow in enthusiasm for him. It's just really a warning to say, you know, we cannot be passive, we cannot just float through this life. And if we look to Jesus, if we fix our eyes on the Jesus who these blind men saw, and the Jesus who is so active in many of our lives, fixing our eyes on him, our enthusiasm will burn all the brighter. Or another Wesley quote, set yourself on fire with love for God and people will come for miles around to watch you burn. <laughs> in other words, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the Jesus here who heals these guys, the Jesus who went to the cross for you and me, the Jesus who rose again from the dead and uh, sent out people who were passionately on fire with love for him and transform the entire world. Fix your eyes on Jesus, turning from whatever else you're staring at, be it the TV, YouTube, shopping, food, money, your family, those immediate needs that we think we need met. Just like those blind men, who need food, need money, need shelter, need companionship. Instead of just focusing on those things, what are you staring at? When your eyes are opened and you're looking at Jesus, what else is there greater than he to be looking at? But we know we do. These blind men saw Jesus and they followed him. And then to follow Jesus means to literally to follow his ways, to do what he says, to live our lives in his wake. Just getting by, comfortable with the bit that we know not wanting to bother anyone, allowing circumstances to deter us. This kind of perseverance is more to do with overcoming life's circumstances than a reluctant God. Because Jesus heard them, he had pity on them, he intervened, but they could so easily have been shrunk by the crowd saying, no, you be quiet. Do we get shrunk by the crowd? Are we intimidated into not pursuing Jesus with enthusiasm? What things maybe stop us living passionately, overt lives for him, fully, unswervingly for Jesus? Does anyone here like being shushed? Anyone? Does anyone like being shushed? No one? If someone said to you, shh, 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 would you like that? Well, don't let them then. If you're following Jesus, don't let people shush you. Don't let people shush your passion for him. You see, this life is meant to be full, unhindered, unfettered devotion to Jesus. 
And we can pursue him with everything, despite everything that seeks to deter us. Strive after Jesus, doing who is doing tremendous and ordinary works in your life and through your life, as like those blind men. We're aware of our need for him. We're aware of the difference he will make as we follow him. And may that be an example in your world. The people who you rub shoulders with, from where you get your help from. For we're told that we have a great helper, the maker of heaven and earth. And just as we see Ezekiel and Samantha and Rachel today, and know it is Jennifer and Stephen who care for them and protect them, guide them, direct them, resource them and wipe their tears. May people know through the way in which you live your lives that Jesus is the hero of your story and all that he does for us in our pursuit and passion and crying out for him. Amen.